Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Okay, I need everybody, do me a favor, hold up your Bible. Everybody, hold them up. Hold up your Bible. Hold up your Bible. Thank you so much for bringing your Bible. You didn't bring your Bible to church. Shame on you, sinners. We're going to have an altar call at the end. If you did not bring your Bible, hold up your fake Bible on your phone. Hold up your fake Bible on your phone. There we go. There we go. While you got your phone out, go ahead, click share on the live stream so we can spread the message of Jesus. But I want you to hold up your Bible. This is God. God's word. This word is true. It is trustworthy. This word tells us who God is, what God does, and how we can live our lives in a way that glorifies him and gives us the greatest joy possible. We don't have to guess who God is because he has revealed himself to us in his word. This is not speculation. This is revelation from God for our lives. And as a church, here's what we believe, that God's word is the final rule and authority in the life of the believer. We love the Bible. We preach the Bible. We teach the Bible. We love God's word. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, this word is true, and this word is also true. Do you know what this is? It's called a phone book. (laughs) How many of y'all remember a phone book, right? Back when you drove your dinosaurs to work, you had a, a phone book. See, those of you who are under the age of 30, you may not know this, but there used to be phones that were attached to walls. Did you know that? Yeah, and if you were really cool, you had one of those really long cables and you could actually have the house phone in your bedroom while staying up all night talking to your girlfriend, right? You, you were cool if you had that phone. And, and if somebody ever tried to call you, you couldn't use the internet. It's weird, like the, the landline and the internet, they were all connected together, but you, you used to actually have to have people's numbers memorized. There was no contact list. They didn't have cell phones or Google to look something up. And so if you wanted to figure out how do I get in touch with somebody, you would actually have to pull out a phone book. This is the thin line edition, I guess. People don't really use that anymore. They used to be like this big, okay? And you'd have to pull it out and you have to see, oh, okay, who's this? Where's this at? And you'd have to find somebody's information if you want to call them. Now, the difference between a, a phone book and a Bible is, well, they're both true, They both have a lot of information, but really the big difference is the application for our lives. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today as we continue our sermon series, We Are Redemption. We're gonna be talking about this big idea of sound doctrine. So let me give you a definition to begin. Sound doctrine is, take a notes, write this down, the application of scripture to all of our lives. See, we don't wanna just hear the word, we also wanna do the word. We don't wanna just know it, we also want to be able to do it. We don't wanna just believe God's word, but we want to live God's word. And when we live out God's word in our life, that's when we begin to experience life change through Jesus. And so over this series, here's what we're looking at, five ways that we experience life change through Jesus at our church. The first week, what we talked about is what is a church? And here's what we discovered a church was. It's not the building. It's not an event. It's not a business. It's not even an organization. The church is people, which led us to week number two, where we discovered that how does Jesus build and develop people through a process known as discipleship, following after him. And here's what we described discipleship as, knowing who Jesus is and then doing the things that Jesus tells us to do, knowing and doing. How do we do that? By developing sound doctrine. So today, we're going to be discussing this really big idea and this theme, what is sound doctrine. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 1. And here's what I want to leave you with today. Information without application does not lead to transformation in your life. If you've got your sermon notes, write that down. Information without 
application does not lead to transformation in your life. How many of you want to experience life change through Jesus? How many of you want to experience a new life, new desires, new hope, new passion, new purpose, new destiny, new legacies? How many of you want to experience life change through Jesus? How do we do that? Not by just hearing and knowing, but we also want to be doing God's word. That's why sound doctrine is so important because information without application does not lead to transformation for our lives. And we understand this in every area of our lives. We understand this when it comes to our health. That's what the word sound in sound doctrine actually means. It means health. It's a healthy doctrine. We understand when it comes to our physical health, if you want to lose weight, get ripped, see your toes, here's what you got to do. You have to be able to diet, exercise, move a little bit more than you sit, and get some sleep. If you do those things, then guess what? You are going to be healthy. We understand it when it comes to our finances. If you want to get out of debt, here's what they tell you to do. Save more than you spend, invest wisely, give generously. If you do those things, then you're going to be set up for financial health. We understand it when it comes to our relational health as well. You want to spend time with others in order to develop that relationship by being intentional and investing in that relationship. And if you do those things, well, then you're going to be relationally healthy. We understand it in every aspect of our lives. It's not just what you know. It's not just information, but it's how you apply that in your life that brings about the change. And that's what sound doctrine really is. It's the application of God's word to every area of our life. And I think the Apostle Paul in the book of Titus really gives us a good explanation of why sound doctrine is so important for a church, especially a young church like ours. He's writing to a young pastor named Titus. Paul planted the church. The church was growing, was healthy. And then Paul moved on to go start another location. And he left a young pastor named Titus to be able to manage and to lead and to shepherd God's people. And here's what he writes to Titus in his letter. But as for you, Titus, the young preacher, teach what is in accords with sound doctrine. There's our word, sound doctrine. He says, Titus, I want you to preach, I want you to teach, I want you to instruct, and I want you to help your people experience life change through Jesus. But don't just give them the information. Let them begin to apply God's word to their life so that they can begin to experience transformation. He says, I want you to teach what is in accords with sound doctrine. Now, watch this. Older men, He makes a transition here. He says, teach sound doctrine. Older men, here's what he says. Older men, teach them to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, so to train younger women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and your teaching show integrity, dignity, and in sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that way, if any opponent comes against you, he may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants, that's workers, employees, colleagues, he's speaking vocationally here, are to be submissive to their own masters or bosses in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, and in everything, uh, showing good faith so that in everything they may adore them with the doctrine, there's our word, of God our Savior. Did you notice that Paul starts off by saying, I want you to teach your church sound doctrine. I want you to preach to them. Open up God's word. Tell them about the great, grand, glorious truths of the scriptures. Captivate their imagination with God's mystery, God's majesty, God's splendor, God's wonder. Teach them the word. Use big words and deep truths. I want you to teach sound doctrine. Why? So that they can begin to experience life change. See, doctrine actually leads to life change because the more you know and the more you apply, the more your life actually begins to change. And so doctrine is for everybody. Some of you right now, you may be wondering, 
Do I have to learn sound doctrine if I want to grow in my faith? Listen, sound doctrine does not necessarily make you a better Christian, but if you want to be a better Christian, sound doctrine is necessary for your life. See, some of you, you may be hearing this and think, I didn't go to Bible college, I didn't go to seminary, I don't even read books that don't have pictures. I definitely cannot grow in this sound doctrine. Pastor, that's your job. You're the one who went to college, you learned the fancy words, and we show up on Sunday so that way you can tell us these fancy words. Then we can go out to eat, and maybe if we take enough notes, we can say something that sounds smart so we can impress our friends. That's why we come to this church, because we want you to do the work for us. But that's actually not what Paul tells Titus to do. He says, teach them sound doctrine so that they might be able to experience life change. Sound doctrine is for older men. How many of you think older men have wisdom that they need to share and mentor and leave to the next generation? Older men are important and necessary in the church. How do older men do that? By learning sound doctrine. How many of you think that the older women in our church are important and for them to teach and to be able to, to come alongside these younger women, to mentor them, to disciple them, to teach them? How many of you think older women are important in the life of the church? How do older women do that? By developing sound doctrine. For younger women, for younger women to be able to flourish and to grow in their faith, to be able to love their husbands, raise their children, to be able to work and to be able to leave lives that make a difference. How many of you think younger women are, are important in the life of the church, right? Okay, if you don't, raise your hand because they are, okay? And how do they do that? Because they grow in sound doctrine. How do you think young men, young men need to grow up and grow in faith? How many of you think young men need to do that? How do they learn to do that? By developing sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is for everybody. It is necessary for everyone to be able to grow and to discover and to learn and to apply God's word in their life. It's for, it's for successful uh, jobs. It's for successful financial situations. It is for our relationships, for our children, for our families. It is so important for all of those things because sound doctrine actually helps us become better disciples. So as we spend the rest of the study today learning how to apply God's word to our life, what I want to do is I want to give you seven reasons for sound doctrine. Okay, the first reason is this. It, it's actually for life. Here's what, here's what we read in 1 Timothy 4.15. Paul tells another pastor, he says, to keep a close watch, here's what he says, on yourself, that's your life, and your thoughts, words, deeds, actions, that's who you are, what you do. Keep a close watch on yourself or your life. And then the next thing he says is also on your doctrine. One of the things that I love so much about God is that we worship a personal God, that God is personal, that he loves us, he cares for us, and he's always there for us. As you begin to study God's word, here's what you're going to discover, is that God is a father who loves us with the love and the affection of a father, but he loves us in a way to where he is near and close. Some of you did not have a father who loved you like this. I want you to begin to understand sound doctrine will reveal to you your heavenly father, that we don't serve a God who's a deadbeat heavenly father sitting up in heaven in his lazy boy throne, just waiting for all of us to mess up and say, that's your life, that's your mistake, that's your mess, you made that, you can live in that. We don't serve a God who is detached and far off. We serve a God who is close, who is near, who loves us and is active and involved in every area of our life. God is a very personal God. He says, I care about your life. Keep a watch on your life. Well, not only is he personal, but we also see is that he is practical. That the wisdom that he shares through his word is practical for daily living. This is why there's entire books of the Bible like Song of Solomon. As you begin to study and read and grow, it's all about a better marriage, right? And so if you want to have a better marriage, you read book Songs of Solomon and you read verses like Ephesians 5 and it will actually give you practical ways in which you can actually build a better marriage because God cares about your marriage. There's whole sections of scripture like 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, which we're going to study later on in the year. It's all about how do we manage our finances in a way that we're investing in the kingdom of God. So God cares about your finances and he actually wrote portions of the scripture 
to be able to give you practical ways in which you can grow in your understanding and wisdom of stewardship in your finances. God also cares about your children. Did you know that the book Proverbs is actually written from a dad to his son, giving him wisdom for life? Why? Because God cares about your life. And as you begin to study and grow and apply God's word to your life, you're going to be able to experience that life change because God is both personal and God is also very practical. This is why he says, keep a close watch on your life and also on your doctrine. So number one is this, doctrine is for life. The second thing that we see is that doctrine is actually for studying the Bible. How many of you kind of have a hard time reading the Bible? How many of you want to read the Bible? How many of you want to read the Bible better? How many of you want to spend more time in God's word? Right? I've never met someone who's like, I read the Bible too much. No, thank you. Right? No, everybody wants to read their Bible more, but sometimes it can get a little confusing when reading the Bible. I was talking to a young woman who actually just became a Christian in our church, and she was so excited. We gave her a Bible. She ran home. She started reading her Bible, and she started in Genesis, and she's working her way through, and she comes up to me a few weeks later. She's like, Pastor, I've been reading my Bible, but it's a little confusing. And I was like, okay, well, talk to me about it. She's like, well, I'm about... I'm about, you know, uh, through Genesis and I'm, you know, reading and Jesus never showed up once. When is the Bible going to start talking about Jesus? Where's this Jesus guy? I mean, I saw the creation. I saw the flood, right? God killed a whole bunch of people and then more people came and messed everything up at the end. And I'm just really confused. When does Jesus show up, right? Because sometimes reading the Bible, let's just be honest, can be a little confusing. In fact, if you think that, I want you to know you're in good company. Because even Peter seemed to think that. There, there's a verse in 2 Peter 3.15 where Peter is referencing Paul, and he says, yeah, sometimes some of the things that Paul says are a, a little hard to understand. Even Peter, the secondhand man to Jesus, had a little hard time reading the Bible. How many of you, you find yourself in pretty good company? You have a hard time reading the Bible. This is why sound doctrine is so incredibly important because sound doctrine is actually for reading the Bible. The more you begin to grow in your doctrine, the more the scriptures are gonna begin to come alive. So let's say you're reading your Bible and you come across a verse about angels. Well, there's actually a doctrine about angels called angelology. So let's say you're reading in the book of Hebrews, and here's what it says in Hebrews. It says this. It says, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him, that you made him a little while lower than the angels, but you have crowned him with glory and honor? You think, that's a little weird because I've been reading, and angels appear over 300 times in the Bible, and they're always huge, crazy, scary, interdimensional beings. Like some of them have four wings that are covered in eyeballs, right? They got face of a lion and the face of an ox and they're just weird. And every time they show up, people fall on their face and they're like, please don't kill me. Like that's, that's angels. You ever read that? And you're like, that's weird. Okay, but then we read in Hebrews that God actually, God actually gives us glory that he doesn't give the angels. And you're like, wait, that's weird because we're flesh and blood. They're spirits. Well, here's the thing. As you begin to study sound doctrine, what you'll discover is that angels are created beings that are messengers and servants of the Lord. They do not have souls nor a chance of salvation. And Jesus didn't die for angels. In fact, mankind through creation is the pinnacle of all of God's design and that Jesus came and gave his life for us and that we are gonna be given a place of glory and honor, and the angels watch with mystery about what God's going to do next in our lives. And then when you read that and you see, oh, every angel that shows up is a messenger of the Lord delivering the promise of salvation for his people, it makes the Bible come alive. Well, maybe you're reading and you're getting prepared for where we're about to dive into Mark. And in a few weeks, we're going to pick back up in Mark and Jesus goes into the temple of Jerusalem and he begins flipping over tables, right? Jesus flips out. You think, that's interesting. Why would Jesus do that? And then right before that, he pronounces a curse on a fig tree that withers and dies. And you're like, Jesus is not working with Greenpeace. He just killed a tree. He just killed a tree. Oh my goodness. Right? And you're like, that's interesting. Why would Jesus do that? But then as you begin to study sound doctrine, you realize what is known typologies. All right, a typology is a Old Testament that's preparatory for the coming of Jesus. 
So in the Old Testament, they had temples. In the Old Testament, they had priests. In the Old Testament, they had sacrifices, and you had to go to a temple, and you had to go to a priest and perform a sacrifice if you wanted to have your sins to be atoned for. What Jesus is coming in, he's saying that we don't need temples anymore because I become the temple of God, and that through my death, burial, and resurrection, you no longer need a sacrificial system because I am going to be the sacrifice in your place for your sins, and you don't need priests anymore because I am the great high priest, the one that mediates between God and man. And as Jesus was doing away with the old covenant, he was introducing a new covenant. And then when you read books like Leviticus, which is all about the old covenant and all the sacrifices and all the rituals and all the priests, all you got to know is those are typologies that are preparatory, pointing us towards the coming of Jesus. We don't need sacrifices. He is our sacrifice. We don't have temples anymore because Jesus has become the greater temple for us. And we don't need these sacrifices or priests because we have a great high priest who intercedes on our behalf. The typologies make the Bible come alive. Or maybe as you're studying the Bible just a little bit more, you realize there's some weird characters in the Old Testament too. Like there's this guy, his name's Melchizedek. Okay, he comes out of nowhere. There's no family lineage. There's no origin for him. But Abram, the, the founder of our faith, after a battle, he's wandering through town. And then all of a sudden, there's this great high priest that shows up named Melchizedek. And you think, this is really strange. He never showed up before. He doesn't show up afterwards. Where did this guy come from? And here's what it says, actually, in Genesis 14. It says this, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. For he was the priest of the Most High God. Bread and wine, what is that? That's communion. 2,000 years before Jesus ever even came on the scene, there's some great high priest who shows up out of nowhere to offer Abraham communion. Well, what is that? Okay, this is called a Christophany. This is the visible, physical manifestation of Jesus Christ in his pre incarnate state in the Old Testament. And Jesus comes in Genesis, and he is prophesying his death, burial, and his resurrection, granting faith to the founder of our faith. And as you begin to study sound doctrine, here's what it does. It makes the Bible come alive, and then you're able to begin to read it for yourself. This is why sound doctrine is so incredibly important for us to grow in as a church. Number three, sound doctrine is actually for loving God. Here's what 1 John 4, 8 says. First John says, anyone who does not love, does not know God, does not love, does not know God because God is love. Your love for another person is only limited by your knowledge of them. Let me say that again. Your love for someone is only limited by your knowledge of them. Let me kind of just make this real for you. Remember when you were in junior high and you met, you, you met that guy, you met that boy, you met that girl, and you're like, I love them. And you ran home and you said, Mommy, I love them. I'm going to be with them forever and ever and ever. Oh, my God, Mommy, I love them. And then you got to get to know them. And they're like, no, I don't love them. You're like, but I prayed that I would marry them. Sometimes you thank God for unanswered prayers. Amen. Because your love for someone is only limited by the knowledge of them. But let's throw it on the other direction. Maybe you do meet someone, and then you do get to know them, and here's what you find out. The more you get to know them, the more you love them. And that's the same thing that happens with our relationship with God. The more that we get to know him, the deeper and greater our love grows. Because it's actually about loving God. Let me give you a little illustration, something that me and Ashley did. When we first started dating... We actually had landlines when we first started dating, but when we first started dating, she lived in Houston, I lived in Orange. And so we had a long distance relationship for the first couple of years, and here's actually what we would do. We would write letters to one another, and we would send these letters through the mail, and there would be questionnaires or quizzes or little surveys, just so that way we could get to know each other better. And it was through writing those letters that I began to learn so much more about her. I mean, I learned that her favorite movie is The Wizard of Oz. I told her my favorite movie is Major League Baseball with Charlie Sheen. <laughs> We're a little bit different. <laughs> Right? Her favorite ice cream is butter pecan. My favorite ice cream is Rocky Road. Her favorite flowers are Gerber daisies. 
That's why whenever we got married, uh, she had a bouquet of Gerber daisies. That's her favorite flower. She asked me, what was your favorite flower? I said, flower tortillas. <laughs> asked her, what's your favorite food? She said, she said her favorite food is pizza. My favorite food is hot dogs. But the more that I got to know her, what happened? The greater my love for her began to grow. That's why we study sound doctrine. Because the more that we know God, the greater our love continues to grow. Listen, here's what doctrine does. Doctrine moves us from infatuation for God to a greater intimacy within him. That's doctrine. Doctrine moves us from infatuation about God because your love for someone is only limited by your knowledge of them. But when you learn and you grow and you study God's word, it moves us from infatuation for God to a greater intimacy with him. Sound doctrine is actually for loving God. This is why we love God's word because as we love and read and apply God's word to our life, it actually helps us begin to love him greater. Amen? Here's what we actually, here's what we read next. Sound doctrine is also for worship. John 4, 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Not just in spirit, but those who worship him must worship him also in spirit and in truth. Now, some people asked, they said, Byron, why are redemption services so long, right? Have you all noticed that? You, you're like, he's still preaching. I am. I'm still preaching. I'm going to preach for a little bit longer too, okay? Have you ever wondered why are redemption services so long? And it's actually because we try to walk the line of this verse of spirit and in truth, right? See, some churches, you have to compromise for one or the other, Right? Some churches you go to and they're like really spirit churches. Like they're just spirit, they're worshiping, they're passionate, they're excited. They worship him in spirit. I mean, they're raising both hands up in the air, jumping, dancing, singing, and worship will go for like an hour long and then you get a little bit of truth on the back end. Right? They worship in spirit. And then other times you have to make a decision, do we worship in truth? Do we just sit here and exegete passages and quote big words? And do we just preach the truth? We preach the truth. We preach the truth. Yeah, but your worship in spirit is not really very spirit-filled. Amen? And so people have to make a decision. What do we do? Do we do both? No, do we do one or the other? So we decided here at Redemption that we're just going to do both. We're going to worship in spirit. We're going to have a good set, worship long sets at the very beginning. And then we're going to come along. We're going to add the Bible in the middle and we're going to preach the truth. And then we're going to have a little bit more worship in spirit on the back end. After service is over, the altars are open. You can come forward. You can receive prayer because sound doctrine is actually for our worship. Jesus says we must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the more you grow in your doctrine, your understanding and application of God's word, it's going to make your songs and your singing and your worship to God actually become a lot greater because then you understand when you're singing these songs, you know what they mean. When you're singing songs about how the blood washes away our sins, you can connect that to the penal substitutionary atonement where Jesus, he comes in our place. He sheds his blood that covers us in our sins and that our sins are cast as far as the east is to the west and we are made alive with him forever. We are washed by the blood of the lamb. As you begin singing these songs about heaven, you understand that there is a new heavens and a new earth and we will receive a new body. You begin to understand what is known as the doctrine of glorification, that, that we are trying to be like him now, but there is coming a day where we will be face to face with him and we will be made perfect just like him. You begin to sing these songs and they're not just lyrics, but they're deep rooted truths in your heart and it makes your worship come alive. The more you begin to sound, sing sound doctrine, listen, it is not enough for you to worship the right God. You also want to worship the right God rightly. You must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not enough to worship the right God, but you also need to worship the right God rightly. To jump back to an illustration, what if I come home after a long day, Ashley's super stressed out with the kids, and she, she, just, she just needs a break, and I come home and I say, baby, 
I love you so much. I've been thinking about you all day, and I am here, and I bought your favorite ice cream, strawberry. She's like, that's not my favorite ice cream. Say, baby, I got you your favorite flowers, tortillas. No. <laughs> Say, that's, that's, not my, that's not my favorite flower. It's not, it's, not very, it's not very loving, and that's actually not the way that we are to show our love to another. This is why doctrine is so important, because you want to worship the right God rightly. You want to worship him in a way that gives him glory. And this is why spirit and truth is so incredibly important because we want to worship him in spirit, but at the same time, we want to honor him with truth. The, the fifth thing is this. Sound doctrine is actually for, for mission. Here, here's what we see. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We talked about this last week. The Great Commission is to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This is known as the Great Commission. It's the first words that Jesus actually has given to us. Go make disciples. How many of you want to make disciples? How many of you want to lead someone to Jesus? How many of you want to invest in another person's life? How many of you want to develop authentic relationships? How many of you want your one that is going to step into these baptism tanks and be obedient to the words of Jesus that you will get the privilege and the honor to lead one person to Jesus and stand in that water and celebrate life change with them? You want to make disciples? Well, statistically, 95% of Christians will not lead one person to Jesus over the course of their lifetime. That's not you guys, because we're not a statistic here, amen? No, we're all going to get our one. We're going to pray, we're going to believe, and we're going to get our one. How do we get that one? Well, it's actually through sound doctrine. Here's what it says. If you want to go make disciples, here's what you need to do. Teach them. That's, that's doctrine. You, you want to be able to teach them to do what? To obey all that I commanded. Sound doctrine is for mission. Doctrine is essential for your discipleship. One of the major reasons that people don't actually witness and live on mission for others is, is first, they think it's my job. They think it's the church's job. <laughs> that it's the church's job to be able to go do that. But actually, if you remember back to week one, we are the church, and so it's all of our jobs if we want to continue to live on mission for Jesus. You and me, we're equally important because we're all in this thing together. So it's all of our jobs to share our faith. But the number one reason that people don't actually share their faith is because they don't really know it. Because they feel insecure when it comes to sharing their faith. They feel incompetent when it comes to witnessing or telling others. They're actually afraid to engage, and so they, they don't share their faith. What if somebody asks a question? What if somebody disagrees with me? What if I, what if I don't get the answer right? What if I, what if I offend somebody else? What if they, they, have, they push back, and I'm like, I don't know what the answer is. What if, what if, what if? And you begin to become so paralyzed by fear when it comes to sharing your faith because you're not confident and secure in your faith. How do you overcome that? By developing sound doctrine. Listen, I'm going to encourage you with this. I discovered it in my life, and I know that it's going to be true in your life. The fastest way for you to grow in your faith is to share your faith with others. The fastest way for you to grow in your faith is for you to begin to give your faith away and to share your faith with others because as you begin entering into conversation with other people, they're gonna ask questions and you're gonna learn to think on your toes. You're gonna be sharp. You're gonna depend on the Holy Spirit just as Jesus is saying that he would give you the words to say in that moment. Sometimes I've been sharing my faith and as I speak out, I'm speaking words. I don't even know where that came from and I'm like, man, that made sense to me and it gets them. I'm like, hey, look at that. There we go. You begin to share your faith with others. And if there is dialogue where you don't know what the answer is, I'm going to tell you, here's what you do. You go home and then you Google it. <laughs> That's where I get my sermons from. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> But we have so much information that's available to us. There is no excuse for us not to begin to study and to read and to 
apply God's word to our life, and then begin to share our faith with others. Listen, the fastest way for you to grow in your faith is for you to begin to share your faith with others. You're going to learn more about God. You're going to learn more about them. And you're actually going to learn more about yourself as you begin to share your faith with others. Sound doctrine is for mission. Where are we at today? We're in downtown Beaumont, 601 Park Street. The Great Commission, just as Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. And then he says this, I have been with you, I will be with you until the very end of the age. Jesus said these words in Matthew 28 on the side of a mountain with 11 men 2,000 years ago, and now Christianity in the church has grown to 3.5 billion people every single place on the planet. People are experiencing life change through Jesus. How? By sound doctrine. By us teaching everyone to obey what Jesus commanded. In just two weeks, we're going to get to obey the Great Commission by having baptisms. And if you haven't gotten baptized yet, we want you to be obedient to sound doctrine and step in these waters and be baptized with us and celebrate life change through Jesus. Because we don't want to just, we don't want to just know the word, we want to do the word. We don't want to just have information about baptism. No, we want to apply God's word to our life so we can experience transformation that comes through him. Sound doctrine is for the mission. As we move forward, number six, sound doctrine is actually for your protection. It's for protection. Here's what Paul writes to young Timothy. He says this, for the time is coming. Okay, first Timothy four, for the time is coming. And I would submit to you this, the time has been here for a while. For the time is coming with the advent of technology like YouTube and the secularization of culture, social media, the end of Christendom, the internet, where anything can go viral in a moment, everything gets a parade and a hashtag, I would submit to you this, the time has already arrived. For the time is coming, why, when, what? When people will no longer endure sound teaching. But they don't want to hear it. They don't want to listen to it. They don't want the information. They definitely don't want the application. Oh, they wouldn't mind a little bit of transformation, but if that's what it takes, they want nothing to do with it. But the time is coming where people will not endure sound doctrine, sound teaching, things like preaching, teaching, sermons, theology, the Bible, preaching, repentance of sin, or the exclusivity of Jesus. People do not want to hear these things, but instead they have accumulated for themselves teachers to suit their own passions because they have itching ears. Itching ears that want what they want, when they want, and if anybody disagrees with them, then we're gonna come after them as well. And they will turn away from listening to the truth, that's the doctrine, and they will wander off into myths. Now, not every preacher that opens up a Bible is actually preaching the Bible. You do understand this, right? That not every pastor actually has your best interest in mind. There are false teachers. There are false doctrines. There are false prophets. There are wolves that Satan sends into the church to bring damage, devastation, and to deceive as many people as possible. Not everybody has your best interest in mind, and not every time a Bible is open does that mean that you actually need to listen to that person because you have to develop sound doctrine, and if you don't, then you will be led astray. Sound doctrine is for your protection. Write this down. You better know your Bible because I can guarantee you Satan knows it better. You better know your Bible. Read it, study it, believe it, apply it to your life. You better know your Bible because if you don't, I can guarantee you that Satan actually knows the Bible better than you. And so we need to study sound doctrine for our own protection. This actually happened to me and Ashley early in our relationship. As we got married, we moved to Houston, and we were looking for a church to join. And we had never looked for a new church before, and so we're like, let's just go give this a shot. So we started visiting multiple churches. We found a church that we liked. The people were really nice. The music was modern. The place was actually really cool, had great environments. And we looked at each other and said, this is actually a pretty cool church. Do you want to visit again next week? So we agreed, and we visited for several weeks. And then one day, as we were in worship, uh, they were singing that song by Chris Tomlin, How Great Is Our God. Do you remember that song? How Great Is Our God? Right? How great. I'm not going to sing it for you, because I want you to come back next week. But you know that song, How Great Is Our God, right? There's a verse in there that says, the Godhead three in one, Father, Spirit, and Son. Do you remember this? 
And as we're worshiping and singing, they skipped that line. And I thought, that's very interesting. And Ashley's like, did you notice that? And I was like, well, I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> whatever whatever y'all do when I preach, that's probably what I was doing when he was preaching. So I wasn't really paying attention. And she said, they skipped the line about the Trinity. And I thought, that's weird. Maybe they just did it by accident or something. And I said, okay. My, my wife, the little theologian, she's telling me about the doctrine of the Trinity. And I'm like, nah, probably not anything. So then as, as they're preaching, the pastor says, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. Oh, that's weird. And then they did baptisms, and they baptized in Jesus' name only. Not Father, Son, Holy Spirit, like we just read Jesus tells us to do, Jesus' name only. And then I realize, oh, these are oneness Pentecostals. Right? That, that's what they are. They deny the Trinity, they add works to salvation, and they, they don't follow the basic Christian principles that have been followed by every single Christian for the last 2,000 years. We found ourselves in a charismatic cult. How did we know that? Well, because we had sound doctrine that was actually for our protection. And so we realized, oh, these people are not teaching a true gospel. They're teaching a false works-based gospel, and we don't want anything to do with that. And so we actually moved on to another church. But if you don't know sound doctrine, then all you're going to see is the fancy lights and the comfortable seats and the really nice people who are greeting you in the lobby. But as you learn and develop sound doctrine, you begin to see that it's actually for your protection. But this doesn't only happen in the church. This also happens in the world as well. There's a big push right now for what is known as universalism. Universalism just says, whatever you believe, you're going to go to heaven. As long as, it doesn't matter who you are or what you believe, everybody goes to heaven in the end. And this is being pushed by other pastors and other thought leaders, men like Rob Bell in his book, Love Wins, and it sells a whole lot of copies because it tells people what they want to hear. And if you don't have sound doctrine, they sound really smart and they can take and twist and corrupt and manipulate verses and they can actually become teachers that give you itching ears to suit your own passions. And if you don't have sound doctrine, it's going to make a lot of sense. This is why they give them book deals and Oprah brings them on their television show and they make millions of dollars and they leave their church and leave their wives and they go on and they have a lot of success. This is also what is known as a trajectory hermeneutic. Okay, big word. Here's what it means. That might have been true for them, but it's no longer true for us that God's word changes along with the culture. And so they'll say, oh, this is just how they read the Bible, but God's word changed over time. This is a trajectory hermeneutic. This is what people use whenever they want to redefine marriage, gender roles, when they want to reestablish uh, authority in the church. They'll say, oh, that's for them, but God's word changes over time. Listen, we don't change God's word. God's word changes us. That we don't change according to culture. We don't judge God's word according to culture. We judge culture according to God's word. And if our experiences don't line up with scripture, then it's our experiences that need to change. And it's not God's word that needs to change. Because God's word is forever. Here's what Isaiah says. His word does not return without void. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God is forever. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, for he never changes. God's word never changes. And if there's something that we disagree with, how dare we disagree with God? Maybe we are the ones who need to change. That we don't change God's word. No, here's what we do. We read God's word and we allow God's word to begin to change us. And if your toes get stepped on in church, get your toes out of the aisle. God's word changes us. And pastors and preachers and teachers and church leaders, myself included, what we can find ourselves in is positions where we worry more about what people think about us than what God has to think about us. And we become more concerned with what other people say than what God says. Listen, my job as your pastor is to be God's messenger, not his editor. This is why we believe in expositional preaching at our church. Here's all it is. is we say what the Bible says. 
So we start in one chapter, we work our way all the way to the very end. And then as we do that, we'll actually hit parts of the Bible that are really, really uncomfortable. How many of you have been here for one of those sermons? Been one of those sermons? Do you remember whenever, whenever Herod had his daughter dance naked in front of him and then chop John the Baptist's head off and Mark? Awkward, that was weird. We actually had people leave our church over that sermon because they felt it was inappropriate to be taught on a Sunday. All we do is open up the Bible and say whatever the Bible says. I have to preach God's word. I have to teach what the Bible says. Now, I would love to tell you that I've always held this position, but I haven't. There was actually a time early in the church where I did not do this. There was a time in the church where I was so concerned about having people come back, I edited God's word. It was right at the very beginning of our church. We had just launched, people were showing up, and I was like, hey, people actually came, and then they came back. I like this. And so I'm preaching, and there's a verse where I'm going through the sermon, and I got to a part to where I was going to talk about hell. Right? Hell is a doctrine, and it's not a comfortable one, and it's one that makes people offended, and people don't like to be told that hell is real. And as I'm getting ready to preach, I'm coming to the part where if you do not have a saving faith in Jesus, then you will spend eternity somewhere. We believe everybody spends eternity somewhere with God in heaven or separated from him forever in hell. Heaven is real. Hell is hot. Forever is a long time. We believe that. And I'm preaching. And I get to the part where I'm going to talk about hell. And my palms get really sweaty. My stomach starts turning. And I think, am I really going to say this? We just got these people to show up. They're never going to come back. They just started liking me. <laughs> First error a preacher can ever make. And I begin to get worried. And I'm preaching and I'm preaching. And I come to the verse. And you know what I did? I skipped it. And I heard the voice of the Spirit as clear as you're hearing me right now. What kind of church are you planting? Is this your church or is this my church? And I determined that day that every time I stand in the pulpit, I will open up God's word and I will preach his truth. This is what James says. He says, don't you know that not many of you should become teachers? Because you will be judged with a greater strictness. Do you know that every single one of us is going to give an account for our lives? Every single one of us. We're going to have to give an account for the words that we say, our deeds. I preach for a living, so I talk a lot, which means I have a lot of words I'm going to be accountable for. <laughs> but I'm also going to be judged based upon my sermons. Like when you stand, you're going to give an account for what you've done in your life, but I'm also going to give an account for every word that I have preached, and I'm going to be judged with a greater strictness. So here's what God's going to do. When I stand before God on judgment day, God's going to pull out all the sermon archives that I've ever preached, and he's going to go through the database. He's going to go through the sermon archive and our iTunes podcast and Spotify, and he's going to be like, okay, Byron, let's talk about your doctrine here. Let's talk about how you led your church. Well, you started off really rough. Hey, I remember those early sermons. They were bad. Thank you for taking them down. <laughs> and then during COVID-19, you actually went back and re-preached some of those older sermon series, and you did a really good job. Thank you for getting that right. I was like, okay, cool. He's like, and then you really kind of hit your stride, and man, you were just rocking and rolling. You did a good job. It took you how long to finish, Mark? <laughs> I was going to send Jesus back, but I want to let you finish. <laughs> and my prayer is that when I stand before God, he would be able to say to you, he would be able to say to me, you preached the full counsel of God's word. I called you to be my messenger. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear when I stand before the Lord. I want you to be able to love redemption. I want you to be able to come to church, but I also want you to know that his word matters most to me. And, and let me just give you an illustration. I probably, there we go. When you want to pick and choose what you believe in, this is basically how people would read their Bibles. So if you, you say, I like this part, but I don't like this part. We believe God's word is true, but not all of God's word. We believe Jesus was a good man and a good teacher, but we don't really believe that he was the son of God. This line of thinking 
is a doctrine, but it's a false doctrine. This is how they accumulate preachers and teachers that suit their needs. And so people say, I like the Bible, but I don't agree with all of it. So as I'm reading it, we get to Genesis. You're like, you really think God created the heavens and the earth? I don't believe that. And then you just begin to slowly remove God's truth from God's word. Oh, you you mean there was a flood that covered the world? No, we don't agree with that either. A talking bush? No, no, surely God wouldn't. No, it's not happening. All that stuff about prophecy in the Old Testament? No, we don't agree with that. Oh, hey, there's a whole bunch of war and violence in the Old Testament. We don't agree with that either. There was a guy who was swallowed by a fish and lived for three days? Yeah, right. I went to junior college. I definitely don't believe that. And then we get to the Jesus part. We're like, I like Jesus. He, there was a part where he, uh, he, he hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors. You know, I mean, he, he climbed a mountain and he preached a sermon about birds. I like that sermon. But all that stuff about the way, the truth, the life, no one could come to the Father but by me. He is a way. He is a truth because I make my own truth. He is a life, but he is not the way, the truth, the life. Miracles? Nope. We live in a closed system. Supernatural? Nope. We don't believe that either. Healing? Nope. Death, burial, resurrection? Let's just get rid of all that too. Oh, let's just get rid of Paul because he's misogynistic. And then have you read the book of revelation wild let's get rid of that too and here's what we end up with finally a god that agrees with me this is not how we interpret scripture we don't stand in authority over god's word this is not how we live our lives as christians sound doctrine is for your protection because the safest place for you to live is under God's word. The blessings of God comes from his word. When you apply it to your life, you begin to experience the life that God made for you to live. Sound doctrine is for your protection. It protects me on judgment day, but it also protects you today. Sound doctrine is for your protection. Which leads us to the final point. Sound doctrine is actually for unity. How many of you ever heard somebody say, doctrine divides. We don't need more doctrine. We just need to love people. How many of you ever heard that? Doctrine divides. That's actually unbiblical. Because the great verse on church unity is actually about sound doctrine. Here's what it says in Ephesians 4. That a pastor's job, my job, is to equip the saints. That's you. You're the saints. My job is to equip you, to give you the information with the application so you can experience transformation for your life. My job is to teach, to equip you, the saints. Why? So that way you can do the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. That's us, the church. Until we attain unity in the faith and of knowledge, doctrine of the Son of God to mature manhood for the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Unity comes from sound doctrine. Listen, if you don't know what you believe, then you will end up believing anything. Sound doctrine is kind of like the rules for a house. Right? How many of you are parents? Right, and you have some rules for your house. If you didn't and you let your kids do anything and everything, would that be unity? No, that would be crazy. Your house would be insane. There would be no unity. There would actually be greater division because you'd have kids who are fighting and arguing and they're pulling each other's hair and they're taking each other's toys and they're smothering peanut butter over each other's faces. They'd be lighting fireworks off at two o'clock in the morning inside the house eating ice cream for breakfast. Is that unity? No, that is not unity. That is crazy. And so churches, they don't need less doctrine for unity. In fact, we actually need to teach sound doctrine so we can develop our unity as well. And just think about the church is God's house and that we are God's children. And sound doctrine, the teachings of God's word are for our life, for our love, they are for our protection and everything that we already listed because when we believe it and when we apply it in our lives and we do it together, it actually produces a greater unity because we're moving forward in the same direction. We're all on the same page. We're living on mission together and we agree. 
And so I think it's important because some of y'all are going to be making the decision to become members of Redemption. In a few weeks, we're going to have a members party welcoming all the new members into our church as we get ready to move into the new season of what God has next for us. But I believe it's actually important for you to make your decision. And so I want you to know up front what we believe here as a church so you can make that decision and be in unity with us. So if you go to our website, you can click the About Us and the What We Believe tab, and you can read more for yourself, but I'm just going to put it up here on the screen. I want you to know that we are a basic, ordinary, evangelical, Jesus-loving, Bible-preaching church. Redemption Church holds the classical statements of the faith, of the apostles and the Nicene Creed, and we're also an Assemblies of God church. I'm credentialed with the Assemblies of God, and we are a church multiplication network church, so we believe in the statement of fundamental truths that you can find through the assemblies of God. We believe the Bible, God's word, true, 100%. We believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We believe that Jesus is fully man, fully God, that he lived the perfect life. He died without sin in our place for our sins. Salvation only comes from Jesus. It's a reconciling relationship with God. Sacraments, This is what we believe. We take Holy Communion every single week. We also do baptisms. Those are the sacraments. We believe in the Holy Spirit, that he enables us, empowers us, and dwells us from the moment of salvation. We also believe in the full operation of the spiritual gifts. We believe the church is both holy, universal, and the local church. And we also believe in what is the second coming, that any day, Jesus is going to come back. Hopefully, we finish Mark before he does. But... That's what we believe as a church. And so if you can get down with that, you can get down with us. But I'll encourage you that unity does not mean uniformity. Here's what I mean by that. We can actually disagree, but that does not mean that we need to have division. There's certain areas that we can disagree on when it comes comes to doctrine. So if you believe in, let's say, the rapture, And we have the second coming, and you're like, it's the rapture, the rapture is coming, the rapture is coming. What do you believe, Pastor Byron? Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. I'm like, you know what I believe? Pan-trib. You say, what's that? It's all gonna pan out in the end anyway, I don't care. (laughs) That's that's what I believe, I don't know. So if you wanna be pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, whatever, just don't make it a big deal, and it's not gonna be a big deal for us. There is unity in, in uniformity, that we don't have to agree on everything, but we have to agree on the most important things. And so if we don't know what we believe, then we're gonna end up believing anything. You say, why are we doing this? Why is this important? Why is this in a vision sermon? Why is the we are redemption sermon over doctrine? Because if we don't apply God's word to our life, we will never be able to experience life change. And here's what he says. Ephesians 4, he says, why is sound doctrine so important? To equip you, the saints, to do the work of the ministry, that is us as a church, where we're heading, where we're going, what God's doing, why? For the building up of the body, the body of Christ. That's you and that's me. That's our church. That is, we are redemption. We don't want to just hear God's word. No, we want to apply it to our life. We don't want to just believe facts about God. No, we want to live by faith. We want to have the information that leads to transformation, which means we have to learn to apply God's word to our life. And how do we do that? Sound doctrine. So you just listened to a long sermon with a lot of big words. Good job for you guys. Let me help you apply it to your life in in five simple ways. Number one, listen to biblical preaching. Listen to the preaching of God's word every single week. Listen to God's word being preached. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. Preaching is doctrine on fire. And so I'm going to give you God's word. Listen to biblical preaching. Number two, witness to others regularly. The best way for you to grow in your faith is to share your faith with others. Number three, read good books. People are products of their instruction. What you put in is what you get out. Read good books. The fourth thing is this, join a small group. Get around other people who are gonna encourage you, bless you, motivate you, and hold you accountable as well. Number four, join that small group. Fill out your connect card. We're gonna have new groups launching in a few, uh, in a month or two. Number five, read your Bible daily. 
This word is so, so, so crucial for you to experience life change. I don't know how I could motivate you or inspire you more to read God's word. This is the most prized possession that I own. This was given to me when I was sitting in jail. My grandmother gave it to me. As I was sitting in jail, she gave me this Bible. And on the cover of it, it has my SO number, 50222. And I started reading this Bible in jail. And I've been reading it every single day. And God's word has seriously changed my life. But it's not just information about him. No, I got to know him. And as I got God's word in my heart, it changed my life forever. And I believe it would do the same thing for you. Read God's word every single day. And then apply it to your life because information without application does not lead to transformation. But if you apply God's word to your life, then you will experience life change. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.